Amen. Good morning, Revive. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Listen, before we get started, I got to handle a little business, if you don't mind. Uh, I pastor a small church in Red Oak, Texas, a growing church. We're not small churches. We're growing churches. There's no more small church. Amen? Listen, and because of that, I need to, I don't want to be a liar, so I need y'all help. So don't make me go back to my church and lie. Can I, can I get your help with that? Okay, so everybody, point your finger towards me. Real quick, real quick. There you go. Point your finger towards me. It's just like school. Don't worry about what Simon Says. Just point your finger towards me and repeat after me and say, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris. you preach that thing. That's all I needed. You can put your hands down now. I can go back and declare that everybody said I preached that thing. And so I, I am good. Uh, no matter if I pass or fail today, I have succeeded. So I will not be a liar when I return. Listen, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm so grateful for uh, Pastor Stephen Kilgore, his bride, Revive Church, for allowing us uh, to be here in your presence on today and share a word with you. Listen. I know it's not an easy thing to give up your podium and let somebody else preach to your people. I, I have somebody that I have known for years at my church preaching right now, and my mind is ticking about what is he going to say, and am I going to have to clean up anything he says? And so for Pastor Stephen Kilgore to give me this opportunity, I want to say thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I cannot go any further without talking about the cream in my coffee, y'all. I'm, I'm just sorry. Uh, listen, she's going to get me because she told she a minute ago, she was, I, was, I, was, I don't get nervous often. Uh, my hands don't sweat that often. I was like, man, why am I sweating at Kilgo Church? It's like 68 degrees in here. I'm like perfectly fine. And she was like, baby, it's going to be all right. You're going to tear that thing up. I just had to look, oh, don't talk like that in church now. We can't. We, listen, I'm going to preach that thing. This is Let's stick with, the, with what we're going to do. So I am grateful for my wife. She's my middle school sweetheart. Amen. Amen. Back in middle school, she thought I was just spitting game to her when I told her she was going to be my wife. But uh, I had to let her go out and find out, you ain't going to find no good thing like me. I'm your real. This is what it is. And so uh, she has come and blessed me. I'm thankful for your children's ministry uh, because we hardly ever get to worship without our children right by our side. And so our children are playing with your children today. And I am grateful for that. It is awesome to be a part of a church that has a children ministry fully functioning. And so if you have kids, you better tell those people thank you for watching your bad kids because you know they get on your nerves sometimes. Listen, the idea of having kids was great, but something about once they got here it just totally changed and so I am so grateful for that listen do me a favor uh, just repeat after me say father God I'm here today seeking a word from you so open my ears that I can hear touch my heart so that I will feel and renewing me a right mind so that I will do this is my prayer in Jesus name all of God's people said Listen, if you prayed that prayer, it doesn't matter what happened before you walk through these doors. Right now, you're focusing on Jesus. Right now, you're focusing on what is it that God has for me that's going to shift and change my life forever. This is Revive Church, and we are here doing revival. That means there's some dead things in our life that we are looking for God to bring back to life. And so we know that the dead things are there, but we're not going to stress about them today because today, God's going to fix that thing. Amen? Listen, grab your Bibles real quickly if you have them. If you have them if you're on your phone, simply go to your Bible app. I know if you got the Revive Church app, there should be a Bible in there. If you don't have it, shameless plug, get Revive Church app. 
It is a reason that we have apps. So please get the app. Uh, listen, go with me to Psalms 23. Psalms 23. I want to read a verse from you. I'll read a verse for you. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Psalms 23, verse 5. Uh, this is a familiar passage that many of us know. When you got it, say, I got it. Amen. Listen along or follow along. This is what the word of the Lord says. David is reciting, uh, whether we wanted to call it a prayer, a song, a piece of poetry. And in this particular verse, verse 5 of the book of the 23rd book of Psalms, David says these words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. For a moment today, I want to take this particular passage of scripture, and I want to simply title this message, Blessing. And if they have it on the screen, uh, and they spell in my title, you'll probably know that it's spelled B-L-E-S-S-O-N. For all of you teachers in here, I'm not illiterate. I know how to spell blessing. The reason why it's uniquely uh, spelled that way is for the simple fact that I believe that inside of every blessing, there is a lesson. I believe in every blessing that God gives you in your life, there is a lesson that we are to learn. Oftentimes, because humans are naturally selfish, we take the blessing without learning the lesson. And so today I want to highlight some lessons that I believe that we should learn from every blessing that we get from God. When you look at the word blessing, in the Hebrew, it's, spelled, it's, it's pronounced baraka. And what, what baraka is, is it's, it's, it's essentially a gift that is given to you. Everybody say gift. A gift that is given to you. And that's great. We all want gifts, right? Christmas, birthday, even just those reasons. The wife said, just because you love me, get me some diamond earrings. I'm trying to help y'all women today. Y'all help me through this thing. I'm just simply saying. And so we love gifts. And that's nothing wrong with that. But when I looked at the root word of a baraka is simply barak. And barak means in Hebrew to respect. And so oftentimes we'll take the gift, but we don't understand that gifts, when they're given the proper way, are given out of respect. And so this changed my whole perspective on what a blessing was. Because God blesses me. And if God is blessing me and the root of his blessing is respect for me, why would God respect me? And the reason I believe that I can teach this and preach this is because of the simple fact that God blesses us because oftentimes blessings are produced or birthed from burdens. Blessings are what you receive from burdens. If you never had a burden, you don't need a blessing. I mean, you don't know what it is to get a light bill paid until you can't pay your light bill. You don't know what it is to get a full tank of gas, or better yet, to make it to work on gas for 30 miles away from your house until your gas light been on since you left your house. That is a blessing that was birthed out of a burden. And so I believe that oftentimes God does things in our lives because of the simple fact that he is, his blessings is a response to our commitment and our perseverance through the burdens that we have in our lives. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but there are people in this room that have been going through some things. And there have been some opportunities for you to give up, for you to throw in the towel, but somehow you continued to push through. That is why your blessing is on the way. The many problems why many of us don't receive the blessing is because we quit too fast. We quit too fast. We don't persevere. We don't 
push through. We don't wait for God to show up. The Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. In order for your strength to be renewed, you have to wait. Why am I waiting? And in the midst of I'm waiting, what am I going through? I am experiencing whatever it is that is bogging me down. At this moment, I'm experiencing not having a job. At this moment, I'm experiencing my husband not believing in God. In this moment, I'm experiencing being broke, being disgusted. In this moment, I'm experiencing so many things, but yet and still, I have to wait. I have to wait not on my own will, not on my own power, but on the power of God, because that's where I find my strength. I just preached a whole series just off of Psalms 23, and the series was all wrapped up in the understanding of why David called God his shepherd. Why did David have this relationship with him? And I, I fell in, in love. I've fallen in love with David because David had some problems. David was not the perfect person that we all give him credit for as he was a man after God's own heart. That's the good part of David that we know. But if you really understood David, you would understand that David had family issues. His daddy didn't even look at him as if he was worth anything or if he had value. The Bible says when Samuel came to anoint the new king, Jesse didn't even bring David out. Matter of fact, when it all didn't run on everybody else, Jesse was the type of daddy, you better try it again. And Samuel had to say, no, 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 no. You don't have nobody else? There's no other son that, that belongs to you? And he was like, yeah, I got this little runt out in the field. He ain't nobody. It show, if it ain't came out on them, it show ain't going to come out on him. Samuel said, no, 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 no. Everybody sit down. We going to wait on David to get here. Bible tells us when David showed up on the scene, all just begins to flow. David is anointed to be king. So David had family issues. Not only did David have family issues, but David had what I would consider church hurt. And the reason I said he had church hurt, because not only was his, his biological father not worth anything, but his spiritual father, Saul, was supposed to be looking out of him, mentoring. But here he is trying to throw daggers at him, trying to kill him. He's sitting here trying to break him. And so David shows me nothing, if nothing else, if I got family issues and if a church hurt me, guess what? I still can't give up. I still can't give up. I still have to push through because my mama, my daddy, my church ain't now one of them God. Ain't now one of them God, and as a result of it, they cannot limit what God wants to do for me. Not only did David have these issues, but David just couldn't control himself. He, he liked the girls. Y'all might know that he was on the roof one day, and he uh, it's the part that bothers me because David was out of position because as a king, he was supposed to be on the battlefield with his soldiers, but because of the fact that he was out of position on the roof, that's when he seen Bathsheba. Somebody need to learn that lesson right now. Stay in position because if you stay in position, your sin can't find you. Most of the time, sin finds us because we're out of position. Some husband ain't going to like this. Stay out of them DMs because that's where sin finds you. That's where it happens. Stay in your place. David, that wasn't even a sermon. I'll, I'll come back next time for that. <laughs> David was out of position, and as a result of it, he sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and he wants to, to, to have her as his own. David had a good friend that was like, no, David, you can't do that, man. That, that's Uriah's wife. And David was like, so? I'm king. You did not see my linen cloth, 500,000 count. You didn't see the camels that I got running through the house. Just bring her through. She'll stay. And we know the story of what happened. David fall. David hurts God. 
God is not pleased with David as all, at all. The son that is birthed out of that sin dies. Uriah is put to death by David on the front line. That's the thing with sin. You don't just do a little sin. Sin multiplies. One mistake leads to another mistake. So the best thing to do is just stop it. Stop it now. Just, just alleviate it. So many opportunities before you actually do what's wrong to say, you know what? This is not the way I want to go. So David has taught me a lot. So when I look at Psalms 23, I look at it from the totality of who David is. I understand why David calls uh, the Lord his shepherd, because David can't say that, Lord, you're my father, because David doesn't know what it is to have a good father. He's never experienced that. David was a great shepherd. David laid down his life for his sheep. David fought. David made sure they had everything that they needed. And so David knew what it was to be a good shepherd. And so he says, Lord, you're my shepherd. He, he accredits them to what he knows. That's why many of us struggle to look at, at God as our father now because some of us didn't have good fathers. That's why many of us don't look at God as a provider now because we've never been provided for. We've had to fend for ourselves. David is trying to show you that God can be whatever you need him to be. He is everything that you need him to be. You just have to allow him to be it. David puts us in a passage in the poetic words in the 23rd book of Psalms, verse 5, and he begins to talk about what I believe are blessings. And in there again, he says, you prepare the table before me, and the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I want to talk to you today about three unique blessings that I believe will impact the way you look at what God does for you and also change your understanding of what God expects from you. Uh, these blessings, uh, one can be considered the setup, one can be considered the set apart, and one could be considered the set above. There are three separate stages of what God is willing and ready to do in your life today. When I look at this first stanza of the, the verse found in the 23rd book of Psalms, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It leads me to understand that one of the first blessings that God will provide for you in your life is what I like to call an observational blessing. Everybody say it with me. Say observational, observational. blessing. Y'all smart people, you know what that means. That means God is going to do something that is going to require people to watch you as he does. Thou prepare the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And, and just because I don't want to take the scripture out of context, I want to take us back to the point where David was supposed to be anointed as king. And here it is, Samuel has told Jesse to go get David. And as a result of it, Samuel tells everybody in the room, don't nobody touch nothing, ain't nobody eating nothing until David gets here. I want you to imagine David's look as he walks into a room. All of his brothers are sitting around the table or sitting at the opposing side of the table. Nobody's doing anything as David prepares to sit at the head of the table and he begins to be anointed. Thou prepare the table before me in the for me in the presence of my enemies. I want to show you how many of us fail to understand the, the, the benefit of an observational blessing. 
This is what happens in an observational blessing. I wish I had a table and a chair, but just imagine with me, if you will. David is called in to sit. Oh, matter of fact, make it personal. You're called in to sit at the head of a table. On this table, God has prepared oxtails, turkey necks, everything that you could possibly ever. That's southern food. Y'all don't know nothing about that. A uh, hot water cornbread. Everything that you could possibly want is prepared on this table. But guess what happened? You're sitting at the edge, of, at the corner of the table. Everything that you can possibly ever want is at, in the midst of the table. But on the other side is every hater that you've ever had in your life. Every person that ever talked about you, every person that ever put you down, every person that has ever wanted to keep you from becoming anything is on the other side of this table. This is why many of us fail to understand the power of an observational blessing, because God sits you at the table for you to sit there and enjoy the things that he's provided for you. But the minute we get at the table, we throw in chairs like, what are you doing in the room? You don't need to be here. You got to get out of here. I'm tired of going through things. We fight with the people on the other side of the table when the whole purpose of you being here is for them to see what God wants to do for you. Can I help you understand something today? When, when, you, when you are there, you will miss out on an observational blessing because instead of focusing on the blessing, you're focusing on the burden. You're focusing on the people that are trying to bring you down. And so it's not that God is not answering. It's not that God doesn't want to provide for you exactly what you need. He's given it to you. He's prepared the table in front of you in the presence of your enemies. But instead, you want to walk around the table and put your finger in people's face. You want to tell people what you're going to do to them. You better be glad I'm a Christian. You better be glad God working on me. I'm a work in progress. That's what you want to do. And as a result of it, you miss the blessing. Listen, to what God prepares on that table, it ain't McDonald's. It, can't, it ain't going to stay the same for three years. Can I help you? I'm sorry, McDonald's. Don't get me. <laughs> when, you, when it's there, it has, a, it has a timeline on it. And so oftentimes what happens is that you're so busy fighting and that blessing is growing mold. You're missing out on it. And then once you finally get tired of fighting, you come back and sit at the table and you're looking and nothing's there. Nothing's there anymore. And what is there, it doesn't seem like it's good enough anymore. It was good enough for that season of your life. But because you wasted that season, you missed out on your blessing. God wants to bless you with an observational blessing. And the reason why he wants to do that sometime is because he needs people to see him through you. This is why we have haters. This is why we have people who are against us. It's because God needs an audience. Did you forget that God wants the glory? If being saved was only about you accepting Christ, then it would be simple. You would say, I do to Jesus, and he would say, cool, you're in, get on in. Y'all know, y'all been to the clubs before. You know somebody, you pay them a little extra money, and as a result of it, you don't stand at the door. You go straight in, and you get to enjoy the party. It does not work like that. Once you say yes to God, you still have a responsibility as long as there's breath in your lungs. See, that's the problem. We say yes to salvation, but we don't say yes to service. Ooh, that hurt. That hurt. I'm sorry. That's another one. We'll leave that. We say yes to salvation. We all, we all want to be in the kingdom. We all want to be in his presence. But not all of us want to be used by God. 
Not all of us want to, be, want to serve. An observational blessing requires you to be in a position of service. It means don't sit there and eat and say, mm, look at me. I got fish. You ain't got nothing. My man loved me. Yours don't. Yeah, I saw him in my DM. That ain't what that's about. That is not what that's about. It's simply about you enjoy what I have for you so that other people can see what a relationship with me offers them. It's not for you to point your finger at people and, and put them down. It's simply to say, yes, I'm a, sometimes I'm going to bless you in the midst of other people, but I didn't give you that new car for you to park in two lanes and ride up and say, mm, yeah, that's my car. And I, that ain't why I gave you that. I gave you that so people can understand the value of a relationship with me. And essentially, God is using you like a pawn. He's, he's putting you in the right position for all my chess players. He's putting you in the right position so that you can be effective for the kingdom. You just have to allow him to use you. So we have to be willing to accept the observational blessings. Not only does David go on the text and say, you prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies to show us the power of an observational blessing, and that's the setup. But then he goes, he says, I want you to set me apart. And he goes into the same text and he says, you have anointed my head with oil. The setup is about people seeing what God can do while you're in a relationship with him. The set apart is what about people seeing how because you're in a relationship with him, how you're supposed to conduct yourself. When God anoints David in the presence of his enemies, God is saying that there is something different, there is something unique about him that you don't have. You don't have to say it. God can say it. Do you not think that Jesse's other sons didn't know that something was wrong? How did he get the all? And I didn't get the oil. How did things pour out? How did doors open for him? It's because there was something unique about David that they didn't have. It's not your position to sit there and try to condemn somebody else. Just allow God to use you. Allow God to pour his oil upon you. Allow him to anoint you to serve in ministry. Allow him to anoint your marriage to be 30 years strong. Allow him to anoint your health to be at the best that it could possibly be. Allow him to use you in the manner that he wants to use you. That's the difference from being an observational blessing and an elevational blessing. That's the second point we got to get to, having to understand that there are some blessings that are just for people to see, but then there are some blessings for, for people to see where God has placed me. That is the elevational blessing. I don't know if you've ever experienced it before, but if you've ever worked on a job and you came in with uh, the same people that you started the company with, but at some point, uh, because you've been responsible, you've been faithful, uh, they elevated you, they gave you what we call a promotion and put you in a better position, and as a result of it, you got some new haters that used to be your friends. They, they can't respect the position that you're in. Most of the time, the reason that your supervisor has promoted you is because there are some characteristics in you that he wants to reward, and he's hoping that other people will follow your lead. He did not anoint you to still act like them. He didn't put you in that position to still behave like heathens. This is going to hurt somebody. 
God didn't bless you. He didn't save you. He didn't redeem you. He didn't anoint you to come to church on Sunday and act all saved and sanctified and go out on Monday and do the same foolishness as everybody else. Do you not understand that that destroys your witness? Do you not understand that that, that that is the definition of being lukewarm? If I was a sinner, let me tell you something. I wasn't no sad sinner. Some of y'all were sad sinners. I was turned up. Every club knew my name. <laughs> I was good. Jesus didn't have to call me. I was perfectly fine. But when he called, I answered. And one of the main things that would always keep me away from the church was people who went to church on Sunday and they turned up with me on Monday through Saturday. How do they supposed to see that there's an anointing in your life, that there's something different about you if you act the same as they do? I love the fact now that God has such anointing around me. When I go to work, people who I know cuss don't even cuss around me. They be like, the preacher comes, shh, you show sure right. God bless you. <laughs> I don't want, I don't, I'm not trying to fit in with you. Be in the world, but what? Be not of the world? That should be an anointing on you that other people see. The Bible says that you know them by the fruit that they bear. You, people should be able to understand that there is something unique about you. When David's brothers seen that oil flow on him, he had problems the rest of his life. I mean, y'all know it. He went down just to help them and bring them bread like his daddy told him to do and just check on their status. And they're like, what you down here for? You want to gossip? You need to leave here now. People are not going to like you because you're anointed. If you thought that was the case, you might as well give up. Pastors are some of the most hated people in the church. And but we anointed. God has called us to do what we do. There are some people in children's ministry that is amazing with those kids. Pastor Kilgore, I'm going to leave mine after service. <laughs> and people will hate on them because they're anointed. You have to understand that your blessing, again, is birthed out of a burden. So we talked about the observational, we've talked about the elevational, the setup, the set apart. I want to close with understanding the set above. And with the set above, we see in the text, he simply says this, my cup overflows. We will transition in our walk with God from being in a position of having an observational blessing, an elevational blessing, to the point of where we should reach a participational blessing. And what a participational blessing is, is it's when God has set you up, set you apart, and now has set you above. And as a result of it, people need to experience what God is doing through you. I want you to imagine having a cup with the best red Kool-Aid that you could possibly find. And it's on mama's best white linen sheets. And it's just overflowing. What happens with that red Kool-Aid when it overflows, and you can act all sedity and have a salsa up on it if you want to, but what ends up happening, and even the saucer can't contain what's overflowing from the cup. And now what was white has now been stained red. Because what God has done to the cup, you are the cup. 
What God has done to the cup has now overflowed and it's affecting everything around you. Pastor Kilgore just talked about we're going back to two services. Things are going to happen. It shouldn't be no problem to reach two, four, five hundred. It shouldn't be no issue. Why? Because y'all should be staining some things. Y'all should be so contagious. My cup overflows. Can I help you understand today why most of our cups don't overflow? Because many of us are okay being good fruit, but God is really calling you to be a good fruit tree. I know you're okay with being good fruit because many of us will take the fruit, the best apple, and if we're that best apple, we're going to shine it up real nice, put a coat of wax on it, set it on the table. Don't nobody touch this apple. This is my apple. It's a good apple. Look how pretty I am. Look how much I got my life together. All of this, one apple can only be about itself until it commits to sacrificing itself for service. Inside of an apple, there's something unique called a seed. But in order to get to what's inside of the apple, you have to divide the apple. The apple has to go through some painful things, a blade to it, some teeth to it, whatever it is. An apple has to go through some painful things. But once you get to the core of the apple, you'll find these seeds. And if done properly, you can take these seeds, fertilize them, water them, and that one apple can now produce an apple tree. And as at one apple produced an apple tree, that apple is essentially not dead. It's still alive. Why? Because the seed from within that apple carries on. It is producing something. But guess what? Now this is what's happening. The apple essentially is overflowing. How? Because what was once one apple has become a tree filled with apples. Apples after apples. Next thing you know, you went from having a tree to an orchard. That's all God is calling us to do as disciples go and make disciples of many natures. He doesn't want you to just be an apple that looks good. He wants you to be a tree. He wants you to be a tree that's, that's constantly reproducing, constantly making things happen. And so he says, listen, I'm going to give you an observational blessing. I'm going to give you an elevational blessing. But now it's going to reach a time where you have matured enough with me that I need to give you a participational blessing. And what this means is I need you to allow other people to experience who I am and what I'm doing. This is why we shouldn't have to fight with people about tithing and giving. You shouldn't have to fight because you should naturally want to plant a seed that's going to carry on. This is why we should not have to fight with people about telling people about the gospel because you should naturally want to ensure that the gospel is carried on. You should naturally want to be used by God so that your cup can overflow. It's a great, great thing to have a church that's packed out. But you turn around and have a church with three overflow rooms packed out, Woo, man, we killing that thing. Everybody wants overflow. You act like you don't want overflow if you want to. Pastor Kilgore, if Pastor Kilgore say he's going to give everybody $1,000 in here in their bank account, just give them the bank account number, y'all going to hurry up and give them that account so he, your, your bank account can overflow. You want that to happen. God wants to bless you. God is ready to bless you. But the question is, are you ready to give God 
the proper response that he deserves as a result of the blessing. God's blessing is a gift, a gift that has been given to you out of respect, out of respect for the recognition that he sees who you are and what you've done. And he believes that if I bless you, I can get even more out of you. So the question is, will you allow God to bless you? I'm reminded that the greatest gift that he could ever possibly give us was his son, Jesus Christ. That died on the cross for our sins. That was buried in a tomb that didn't even belong to him. Only for him to raise again and redeem us and give us everlasting life. A gift we didn't deserve. A gift we couldn't earn. But yet and still, a gift. A gift that deserves our utmost respect. A gift that deserves for us to dedicate the rest of our lives to him. To say, Lord, I will serve you. I will not only take your salvation, but I will serve you in every way I possibly can. Because you deserve my best. If God is giving him, you his best, can you commit to giving God your best?